The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome back to Wellness Inc. I'm Dr. Mike Moreno, taking a deep dive into all things wellness after over 25 years of practicing medicine. I'm fascinated with anything and everything that can help you feel better, live healthier, and become the best you possible. I'll be interviewing the most cutting edge experts in the field of wellness and exploring new innovative technologies to help you live your best life. At the end of each episode, I'll give you my weekly RX, my top tips for you to use right away. Remember to subscribe for free, rate and review my podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Well, buckle up everybody for today's show. We're going to be talking about something that I actually haven't talked about before. We've done a lot of shows about COVID-19 and how it's affecting all of you in terms of your physical and emotional health. Well, today we're going to be talking about how your sex lives may be impacted. Specifically, we're going to look at the issue of desire in the time of COVID. Everybody's like, oh, great. This is going to be good. And we have with us, we're fortunate to have with us just the expert to help us do that. Our guest today is a licensed psychotherapist and nationally recognized sexuality counselor who specializes in sex therapy, couples therapy, and working with individuals on a range of relational issues for the last 20 years. He regularly appears and is quoted in various media, and he's the author of the best-selling book, She Comes First. I know this book. And he has a new book called, So Tell Me About the Last Time You Had Sex, which he says is the question Get this, the question that he often asks at the start of his sessions. We're so happy to have you here today, Dr. Ian Kerner. How are you, Dr. Kerner? I'm good, Mike. So tell me about the last time you had sex. I'm just why did, I, <laughs> why did I know that was coming? Listen, I, I mean, I love that you do that. It's like, uh, wow, you're going to get your bang for your buck right, right off the bat here. You know, sex has been, with this whole pandemic and this whole thing going on, People cooped up with each other. People are actually having more sex, less sex. They're, I mean, what, as far as COVID and this pandemic, uh, what are you seeing right now in your practice? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I mean, obviously, COVID is sort of becoming, you know, the new norm. And uh, as we were getting going with COVID, I really thought that people would be having more sex because I always hear people complaining. We don't have time for sex. We're on different schedules. Uh, we're always tired at different times. And, you know, people have commutes and they're doing things with friends and colleagues. And now in an age of COVID, you really do have the time for sex and you're not commuting. And so I would have thought that people would have been having more sex. In fact, I've really been seeing the very opposite. You know, for the last nine or 10 months, the main complaints I'm getting and the main sessions I'm doing with couples are about mismatched libidos, low desires, sex ruts, couples not having sex for weeks, uh, even months. Um, so I would say um, the biggest issue I'm seeing is that uh, is low desire, basically. 
you know, and I think it's interesting because for a lot of people, when you have more time was, I don't know, I'm going to put myself out there and probably get myself in a lot of trouble. But for a lot of people, when you're around someone as much as we've been around each other and our loved ones and our significant others, you start to pick up on things that maybe you didn't really recognize before. And now they drive you nuts and, and it, it becomes a turnoff. And maybe there are things that are have the opposite effect. But I mean, I I sort of get and I sort of see where, you know, just because people have more time on their hands when when the rest of their world is just in a frenzy because of what's going on, it really kind of mentally and physically affects people. I mean, how do most people deal with this? I mean, what do you what do you see most often? Well, I see couples coming with, um, you know, low desires, match libidos uh, a lot lately. And you're right. That can be for a lot of different reasons. I mean, um, sex, I, I like to say that sex is sort of like the stock market. When you look at it from the big picture, it goes up one day, it goes down the next day. But when you get near experience and really close to what's happening, there's like a million intersecting little variables that may be contributing to that. And I think it's the same with sex and desire. Um, you know, there are biological factors, there are psychological factors, there are relational factors, and that's always the case. And we can talk about those factors, but I think COVID has been like a hot box, like an incubator of all those factors, you know? So for example, if, if we're looking through a biological lens, you know, exercise is huge for, for, for desire, right? You feel good, you huge. exercise, you're releasing endor endorphins, you're getting all that vascularity and blood flow through your body and your self-esteem goes up because you worked out. Well, people aren't really working out nearly as much. They're not getting to walk as much. They're not getting to, to move around as much. So that's, you know, that's like a factor that would always be the case but now in this age of COVID, you know, I think it's amplified and increased. And um, the same thing, for example, with diet. I mean, people are really largely maintaining pretty poor diets right now. They're um, ordering in a lot, at least here in New York, which is great to support restaurants. But, you know, that hits the waistline. It also makes you sluggish. Again, so much of sex is about self-esteem. And so if you're not eating right, if you're not dieting, if you're not exercising, um, your self-esteem is going to get hit and that's going to affect, you know, your desire. And, you know, this is true with both men and women. And, and I think this will be interesting to get your thought on this, but listen, you know, we live in this physical world, right? We all want to look good. We all want to appear appealing to our significant others. And, you know, so I think it's important. I mean, you touched on some things. I'm like going nuts over here because I'm like, you're spot on, especially when you talk about, you know, erectile dysfunction and, and issues with, with that. And believe me, we're seeing a lot of these things. And I always tell people, listen, what you eat, how hydrated you are, which is a big thing, right? A lot of people... They're stressed out. They're drinking caffeine. They're dehydrated. They're drinking alcohol. They're further dehydrated. They're not drinking enough water. They're not get you know, when you get an erection, let's just be quite honest here. It's blood flow. Blood flow is drawn into the penile vein and you get an erection. That's how it works. It's that simple. But if you don't, and I tell people, you know, if you think of a river going down, you know, down through some uh, grassy area and, and, as the river dries out, that main river, 
the contributaries start to get less and less and dry. And, and what happens is when you don't have that rush of water, that main area, you start to dry up areas and you lose the vegetation, you lose. The erection is the same thing. It's about bringing blood to, to the penis and getting an erection. So diet is obviously important. Exercise, I think, is the most important and hydration is a big one. Mm -hmm. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Let's go through a few things. First of all, let's talk about the three areas when we're considering sexual desire. Let's talk about those three categories, those buckets. Right. So we did talk already a little bit about the biological. And uh, you mentioned something really interesting about, you know, erectile impairment and uh, the, the tributaries and the blood flow into the genitals. You also have to think now, if we move to the psychological bucket, that people are, hand, are, are, are dealing with a lot of anxiety. I think people are dealing with more anxiety consciously and unconsciously uh, than they normally do. There's a lot of uh, stress around money and uh, employment and around vaccines and um, being contagious. And, um, you know, anxiety triggers little spikes of adrenaline. I mean, that's the purpose of anxiety, to sort of alert the adrenaline system to get us aware about, of a potential threat. But the first thing that adrenaline is going to do, and you, you're going to know this better than me, is it's going to direct blood flow towards the heart so that that's you it. can run towards the feet and towards the arms and away from the genitals. So even going into sex, um, a little anxious, a little stressed out in your environment is already going to hit your sexual function from in terms of the anxiety. Yeah, and that's true. And I, you know, you see these young guys, I mean, I'm 53. I, I'm no, you know, spring chicken, I think is this the same. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you see these young guys come in and they struggle with erections and they struggle and, you know, they tell you this. And I think, gosh, you know, when, when you're this young, if you're doing the right things for yourself physically, you exercise, you, hydration is a big one. I, I think that is absolutely one of the most critical things and exercise and how you feed yourself. But there is a huge psychological thing, especially in these young individuals. You know, when you talk about blood flow, I love your analogy of the stock market, by the way. I mean, I'm, I may have to <laughs> use that from time to time. And it's so true. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. But I think psychologically, once you get in your head about this and you can't perform or you don't have the desire, man, you're setting yourself up for a real problem. Yeah, you know, you're really right, uh, Mike. I mean, I, I'm seeing more cases of uh, erectile impairment with guys in their 20s, guys in their 30s. And, you know, COVID aside, I think something to do with porn, something to do with sort of the general locker room talk, um, and something to do with just not really being educated 
to feel comfortable talking about sex. And it just sets up a vicious cycle. It creates so much performance anxiety that they're really not present. They're not in their bodies. They're not in a flow state. And again, as soon as you start to get a little panic during sex, as soon as that anxiety kicks in, that is going to hit your erection very quickly. Um, and so, you know, I work a lot with guys in this, and it involves mindfulness. It involves communication. I'm a big believer in scaffolding with medication. I think the PDEs like uh, Viagra and Cialis and the generic versions are fantastic for just helping a guy who has that psychological anxiety with some of that blood flow. So, you know, really for any sexual issue, whether it's desire, arousal, orgasm, just general sexual function, we have to take an integrated combination approach. We have to look at biological, psychological, relational factors, the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because a lot of, a lot of men will come in and say, uh, well, you know, I'm having a problem with my erection or I think, you know, here's what guys always say, cracks me up. Things aren't great in the bedroom. <laughs> That's yeah. like, yeah, I love when they say that. I'm like, you mean, is it the curtains? Is it the bedspread? You know, what is it? That's not great in the bedroom, but, uh, you know, guys, I don't think are as comfortable. And you made this point because, you know, you have this sort of uh, presence that you have to maintain. Right. I'm the guy, I'm, I, you know, I'm I'm, you know, the macho one or whatever it is. And I think, you know, we sort of get caught up in that. And once you start going, it's like running downhill. Right. You start running downhill. Eventually, your feet can't keep up and you're going to fall flat on your face. So I think it's important. I, I think it's the whole honesty with yourself and with your partner. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know, the thing that I love about doing couples therapy and the reason I love doing sex therapy with couples is because you can really get them talking about topics that they've never talked about. So you'll have couples who have been together for years. They can talk about kids, real estate, uh, in-laws, families, dreams, disappointments, but then they lie in bed next to each other, sort of in a state of silent desperation because of shame, because of not having the language, because of feeling like they should meet certain gender roles around how they perform in bed. They're just not communicating. So I love when I can just help couples sort of open up this topic and start to talk about it. So let me ask you a question. So like how often when you see like say a, a new couple the first visit how often do they walk out of the office like not happy with each other <laughs> um, initially anyway <laughs> no you know mike it's 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 kind of funny because um i also try and get couple it's almost the opposite cuz i try and get couples to talk about sex not in terms of their complaint but in terms of the solutions they want to see. So I don't want to offer, I want to hear about the problem, but I also want to hear about the sex they want to be having. And I want them to open up and feel safe to start to almost fantasize a little bit in the office or really offer up to their partner what they're interested in. And so it's actually, it's liberating, it's relieving, and sometimes it's a little sexy. So some, you know, it's funny, my most popular spot 
in my practice is Thursday and Friday nights at like six, seven, seven thirty, because couples almost want to have a date night afterwards because they feel so like good and liberated. So they're going to come to my office. <laughs> they're going to talk about all the sex they want to have with each other. They're going to like go get some food and wine, and then they're going to go like home and have sex. <laughs> well, and I think it, you, so going back to the stock market, right? You take one, one piece of time there and, Listen, it's not always perfect. It's like anything else. No matter how good or bad you are at something, you're going to have good days and bad days. It just doesn't matter. But I think people get caught up in this idea that, and again, I, I'm just I'm saying that when things aren't right in the bedroom, does the partner tend to think what is going on? What's what? Absolutely. You know, you're normally all over me. And you're not, what's the deal? And you go to your mind goes to like, are you cheating? Or is it this? Is it that? Is it me? Have I gained weight? You know, are you not a try? I mean, you're talk about opening up a can of worms. I mean, how, how does that whole thing go? Yeah, that's the hard part. I mean, for example, you mentioned infidelity. So, you know, infidelity is traumatic. It's a horrible thing for anyone to have to go through, but it's doubly hard when you add lying on top of infidelity. That makes it two or three times as bad. So to now take a sex problem where you don't necessarily feel desired or you don't feel attractive or you're not having orgasms or you're ejaculating too quickly or not at all and you're not talking about it the silence compounds the whole problem because it never gets talked about so it just becomes an area that you're allowed to like fester over and uh you know ruminate over so i really do think that's again we're just being able to you know talk about this um topic really comes into play. You know, the other thing that I'm seeing a lot of during COVID that you mentioned is, you know, people being cooped up, right? People are on top of each other right now. They're enmeshed. You know, when we're out there working, we're getting dressed, we're looking good, we're getting validation, you know, and now we're staying home and we're in sweats and we're in our yeah. pajamas. And uh, and a lot of, a lot of especially women, I, I, mean, I hate to generalize, but I'm hearing like a lot of women say, well, why should I have to like look good or dress up? I should be loved and desired exactly the way I am. We're in a relationship right now. I shouldn't have to play these games of like putting on lingerie. But, you know, I think continuing to like add a little spice, add a little adventure, a little unpredictability, still trying to look good for each other. I think that plays a big role in uh, sexual attraction, you know? You know, so this is funny that you say that because, and this just happened last weekend. Uh, it, it's the same thing. You, what, I can't go out to a restaurant. I can't go out. So, you know, what do I care what I look like? Right. And uh, so, <laughs> right. you know, that's me being like me, Mr. Selfish. So my girlfriend shows up and she's like, like, looked amazing, right? Dressed up, like the makeup, the whole thing. I got her this thing for Christmas with that she does her hair with or whatever. And she's all excited and she was all done up. And I was like, no shirt, shorts, flip-flops, total loser, right? <laughs> and so she comes in and she's like, and I'm I'm like, whoa. And I go, you look great. And she's like, yeah, you know, I thought I would dress up. Now, we weren't going anywhere. We weren't even doing takeout. We were just going to like make dinner like we have been for the last several months. But I was like, I felt so bad because I'm like, look at me. And I quickly 
went and combed my hair and tried to make myself look presentable, but it's totally true. But like you say, you know, it, it's with women. Well, listen, it was with me this time because I was right. like, wow, I, you know, so it, that dynamic. And I think it's interesting because I, I don't know, had this pandemic or COVID not happened, would this ever happen? You know, it, it's, it's kind of one of those things. Right. Right. So I want you to, so Mike, I want you to think of desire like a car for a second. There's an accelerator and there's a brake, right? So the accelerator is all the things that turn you on and move you forward and give you that acceleration through arousal. And the brake is all the things that turn you off and stop you from getting aroused. So when your girlfriend shows up looking great, she's actually putting a little bit of a foot on the accelerator, you know? Right. When you're looking like crap or whatever, <laughs> however you're looking, you're not, I don't know if you're stepping on the brake, but you're certainly not adding an accelerator. And I think right now in this age of COVID, there are more inhibitors, more turnoffs, more breaks, more reasons not to get sexually going than there are accelerators. So I love that your girlfriend is just intuitively figuring out, well, what can I do just to like keep things moving and keep things going? And she's being resourceful instinctively. And I think that's what we all need to be doing. No, yeah. I mean, let me tell you, emotionally, I'm 53 going on 13. Uh, and she is so wise and I learn a lot from her because, you know, not just with this, with so many other things, but, you know, guys are tough, you know, it's like peeling through that layer of the onion to get to what, what is really going on. And, and yeah. you know, I, I've always kind of been like that growing up in a big family, but I was the youngest of seven and I really, my brothers and sisters were so much older. I really grew up as kind of an only child. So I was kind of like you know, it's just a mama's boy, as they say. And I really was, you know, my mother and I had a tremendously tight bond and, uh, you, you kind of guys are tough. Women are just better at like putting it out there. And it's like, sometimes it's uncomfortable. I mean, how do you do that? How do you get couples to open up? How do you get them to kind of communicate, you know, whether it's the guy or the girl or the guy and the guy, the girl and the girl, whatever it may be, how do you get people to come to that common place and go, okay, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, well, I mean, I have a, a little bit of a process in a session. I always want couples to come in and, you know, start to talk about the, the problem that they're experiencing and start to really put some meat on the bones and uh, walk around it. And I try and create a, a safe environment. But at the end of that couple of months, things are actually better between the two of you sexually. Like, what does that look like? If I were a fly on the wall, what would I see? Tell me specifically what it's going to look like for sex to be better between the two of you. And I might hear about the things that they're missing, the things that they want. I might hear about the emotional connection that's lacking. I might hear something that's coming up from the past in terms of history that they want to like vacate and get rid of. And then that's really where that question that I said, so tell me about the last time you had sex come is once I know sort of what couples do during a sexual event, so much is revealed in that, you know, how they're getting turned on, how they're not getting turned on, where they're sexual personalities are complementing each other where they're not, you know? So I do have a little bit of, um, you know, a methodology for getting couples to talk. And a lot of that is going to be um, in my new book. But I think the main thing that I would say, if I was going to give your listeners a tool, 
I would say that, you know, sex is a vulnerable topic, right? There are real vulnerable feelings. Like I feel rejected. I feel neglected. I feel unattractive. Those are vulnerable, vulnerable emotions. But yet when we talk about sex or we don't talk about sex, we're kind of engaging in defenses. D- defenses. We might get angry or irritable or avoidant, you know? And so we have to get rid of the sort of the the usual kinds of ways we might interact defensively, you know, just sort of like complaining about something or yelling across a room or, or criticizing. So I would say empathize, um, get in touch with your own vulnerability and sort of offer that up to your partner and, 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 and allow your partner to mirror that back to you. Yeah, no, I think the it's the vulnerable aspect. And I think that is such a big thing for all of us. No one wants to put themselves out there because for fear of being hurt, right? Or or, or for fear of hearing something that, you know, whoa, that that's how you feel or this is really. But I think that communication portion is, is so critical. You know, I, I've been seeing the same therapist for for 20 years now. And, and you know, I go to her for a lot of things, but sometimes, you know, it's, this is my one-on-one. I've also gone to a couples therapist and it's a completely different situation, complete. And it's not just about sex, but, you know, and and I would always joke around because I would walk in and that's what guys do. We try to joke around to take like the, you know, the sting off of things, but I would always tell the therapist when I walk in, I'm like, you know, listen, I'm going to get my money's worth of you out of you today because the whole, the, you know, the wheels are coming off. So I, I think, you know, we as guys and people, everybody has their way of sort of like, you know, taking that step in that direction. But I think it's important to recognize what your partner's cues are, right? Or or, or how, you know, to be more aware of your partners. When, when are they saying, hey, I need this from you. I need that. And it's, you know, maybe about sex or maybe other things. But do you find people use sex as a tool? as a tool to punish, as a tool to reward? I mean, how do you handle that? And how often do you see that? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think that sex can be a beautiful form of healing. It can take us to a place where words cannot. And it's interesting, the couples who have sex three times a week, which is, is frankly rare in my practice, they don't have higher levels of relationship satisfaction than the couples who have sex once a week. So there's something about that number, just being sexually intimately connected um, once a week that really has a healing effect. So I really try and get couples to make that a habit, to make that a routine, to make that a ritual, to show up with willingness to do that, even if they don't always have uh, the desire to go for the healing aspects of sex. But certainly, um, people can use sex in destructive ways as well. They can um, withhold it. They can use it transactionally in terms of return for favors. For her. So yes, sex gets you uh, in a lot of different ways, and and some of them are are negative. Uh, it can also be so positive. You know, they say when sex is working in a relationship, it's like 20% of an overall good relationship. Uh, but when sex isn't working, it becomes 80 to 100% of the, of the relationship, you know? So I really try and, and get couples 
to make a healthy ritual out of being sexually connected in the way that they would care and respect and create rituals for each other parts of life. Yeah, I mean, so how do you approach that? Going back to your point about once a week, you know, what if people are, say, doing it three times a week or four times a week and you're, you know, it's sort of diluted in a sense, I I guess, maybe is how I would use Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So when it's diluted like that, how do you get couples to say, hey, yeah, yeah you know, we're not having sex every day this week. We're going to just do it once a week, but it's going to be more meaningful. Like how, how how would you get someone to do that? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, first of all, you raise an interesting issue, which especially with men, um, you know, I'm seeing a lot more masturbation, which I'm very sex positive, I'm masturbation positive, I can even be porn positive about ethical porn in the right context, um, but there, there can be too much of a good thing in sort of squandering the libido that you might otherwise uh, have for a partner. Um, you know, I've been doing this work a long time, and again, I hear a lot, when I ask somebody to tell me about the last time they had sex, I hear a lot of um, what I call sex scripts, the sequence of interactions and behaviors that couples engage in. And across the board, Mike, one thing that I've observed is that when couples aren't getting the most out of sex, um, when they're getting bored by sex, when they're not looking forward to sex, it's often that sex has lost a sort of a psychological dimension. You know, in the beginning of a relationship, it's new. It's uh, The person is sort of unknown. It's exciting. We're still exploring each other. You know, but once we really get to know each other, it's not about just spicing things up with new positions or lingerie. It's really about opening up your sexual and erotic personality and getting into psychological stimulation. For example, there are women who can fantasize their way to orgasms and have just a a thinking orgasm without any touch. When I'm working with men who have erectile disorder and we don't know if it's completely physiological or psychological in nature, I might ask them to fantasize or watch something sexy without ever touching themselves. And they can get very full erections, um, sometimes within a few minutes. So that, that tells you that just psychological stimulation is so important in creating arousal. And so many couples just, they're not talking during sex. They're not being sexy during sex. They're not sharing fantasies. They're not opening up their um, desires. They're not creating a playground out of sex. And that is when sex starts to get boring and it starts to get repetitive or or diluted. Let's talk a little bit about desire frameworks. And tell us a little bit about desire frameworks and and then how can that be helpful to understand? Sure. I I think that that can be very helpful, especially in the age of COVID. So we already talked about, you know, accelerators and brakes and and wanting to sort of reduce the brakes and sort of uh, increase the accelerators. In general, Mike, there are two desire frameworks. Um, The first desire framework is called a spontaneous desire framework. And a lot of men are in that framework. That's the framework we see in the media. And basically, Spontaneous desire is two people see each other across a room, cut to them having passionate sex. It's the idea that 
sexual chemistry just manifests and all it takes is a single sexual cue, a look, a glance, a tasty piece of flesh, you know, to get that whole arousal going. And in fact, for a lot of people, that's true. And especially for men, you know, they say sometimes think about sex 50 times a day, 100 times a day, 1000 times a day. Men often are very good at sort of metabolizing a single sexual cue very quickly and experiencing desire and wanting to have sex. Now women and I'm not and I'm speaking generally but I'm not meaning to generalize too much. There's another desire framework which is responsive desire, which means a single sexual cue doesn't turn you on, doesn't get the ignition going, doesn't make it happen. It's not to say you don't notice that. You don't say, oh, that's that's sexy. It just doesn't arousal platform in the same way. And so in, in a responsive desire framework, you need kind of a buildup of sexual cues. You need those sexual cues to percolate and simmer, and then desire emerges. So if you're home and it's COVID, and you're a guy, you might still be feeling a lot of desire because, hey, my partner's still sexy. There she is coming out of the bathroom or the shower looking cute. And, you know, I'm ready to go because I'm in a spontaneous desire framework. You know, but if your partner's in a responsive desire framework and, yeah, you're sitting around in sweatpants and there's dishes in the <laughs> sink and the place is kind of a mess and you're not doing anything sexy then that person might never get to the feeling of having desire. They might not even miss desire because the environment hasn't created the preconditions for desire, responsive desire to emerge. And so that's when sometimes we see that clutch of desire frameworks, if that makes sense. You know, a spontaneous partner just is ready to go and a responsive desire partner is like, I'm sexy at all. No, it makes perfect sense. And I think it comes down, and you said this when we started talking at the beginning, it's, it's, you got to communicate. And I really think that that has to be at, at the forefront. And, you know, people are different. We, we have different, you know, experiences in life that make us who we are and our ability to communicate or not communicate. It, it's variable. But when you are with your partner, when you have sort of decided to be with an, a person, Sex becomes a very important thing. And I think that understanding how you think and why you think the way you think, you know, I always say this jokingly, I'm like, guys are idiots. We're idiots. I'm like, eh, I'm a guy. What do I know? I'm an idiot, you know, because we think, and again, it's not to generalize, but a lot of us are just kind of have that sort of just generalization that you said, where, you know, you gave that perfect example, you know, I'm ready to go. How can you not be ready to go? And I think, you know, we have to look at everything. And I think that that's the work that you do. And I think obviously the guidance that you give so many people uh, and very successful guidance, I, I think it's important that com communication step. It's talking about it though, right? I mean, really just bringing it to the forefront. Yep. Yep. No, I appreciate that. It's also recognizing that um, sexy doesn't necessarily have to equal sex, like especially in this age of COVID, don't lose what I call the erotic thread or the sexual thread. Just being able to drop into a little bit of a sexy space for 
10 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute, and then, and then go back to your computers and go back to work. But don't lose the erotic energy that you can develop in between having sex. Well, listen, we could probably talk forever and a day on all of this stuff. And I'll tell you, you know, we've been struggling with this pandemic and with so many things, but take away the pandemic. Life is still very difficult. And, uh, you know, I can tell you right now that for a lot of people, it didn't take a pandemic for issues to be, uh, you know, issues regarding sex to be an issue, you know, problem or cause problems in relationships. And it's sad because you bring two people together. If you're not going to talk about this, you can lose a very beautiful or potentially beautiful relationship without coming to this pandemic or no, this is a problem for a lot of people. And I think having someone like you to go to is critical and that that first step is critical. So I really, really thank you. Thank you for taking time to, to talk to me and uh, to our listeners. You got it. It was, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. So where can people find you? Yeah, no, the best place is to find me at my website, iankerner.com. There's a lot of information up there. There's uh, links to my books and to, to social media channels. And uh, I also just say, you know, you don't have to see a sex therapist or a couples therapist to open up the conversation. Um, and uh, you can actually go to Dr. Mike with your sex <laughs> problems and uh, go to your doctor too. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for everything. Thank you. That's it for today. Great stuff. Really good stuff. Now let's get to today's weekly RX. Where do I begin? I, I got to tell you that uh, the thing that stuck with me most that Dr. Kerner said is that sexy does not always equal sex. And I think it's important for us to realize that. I, I think that really sticks with me. I, I think the idea of intimacy is not always just the act of sex. And so sexy is not always sex. I think the other thing is that uh, it's sex is a vulnerable topic. And I think being open and communicative, it's important. But I, I really think reaching out to someone and, and he, he makes that point that it's not just about going to a sex therapist. It's talking to your doctor. It's talking to somebody, but opening yourself up. It's a very vulnerable topic. But I think the sooner you are more vulnerable and put yourself out there, the more likely you are to have a better relationship, not just sexually, but as a whole. So that's it for today. Don't forget to subscribe for free, download and listen to Wellness Inc. with me, Dr. Mike Moreno on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Follow me on social media at The 17 Day Diet. Thank you. The Wellness Inc. with Dr. Mike Moreno podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professional. Thank you.